passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rolling. <laughs> I might leave that in. <laughs> It'll be a bumper. Do you think you will be back permanently now? You took a nice long layoff of three years off. After this great fight and having this great victory, do you think we'll be seeing you fighting regularly now? The reason I was off is because everybody sucked. There was nobody to fight. But with this, uh, with this belt, I want to defend it against uh, Jorge Masvidal. Had a good last fight. Good last fight. All respect to the man, but there ain't no gangsters in this game anymore. There ain't nobody who does it right but me and him. So I know my man's a gangster, but. He ain't no West Coast gangster. You know what I'm saying? Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 241 post show. I'm John Pollock, along with Phil Chairtalk, the man about town. How are you tonight? Phil? I am tremendous, John. I'm uh, very happy to be here. I'm very happy to have participated in an excellent night of fights. And uh, yeah, just excellent in general. I think we're we're starting off at a high here because this is by far usually... You're very much the uh, the Greg the Hammer Valentine that you you kind of get your your flow going, and then we, we see usually when I call you and you pick up, you sound like you are uh, about to die <laughs> at two in the morning. This is this is the most energetic you've ever John, sounded. So I think this is really indicative of this card tonight. I have to tell you, the fact that you just made a Greg the Hammer Valentine reference. So, John, uh, for the audience. Me and John got together, uh, what was it, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, roughly, just for a drink. You know, we hadn't seen each other in a while. And I talked about one of the, these uh, first wrestling events where I saw King Kong Bundy versus Duke the Dumpster Drofus? Drofus? Drosy, sorry. My memory is – and that was, that was like uh, when I was like 15 years old. So we're talking about, uh, I mean, uh, 22 years ago. And, uh, yeah, that math is right. And funny enough, Greg, the hammer Valentine was on that card at, in Mississauga at the abyss that I was telling you about. So for you to drop a Greg, the hammer Valentine reference on me, I mean, it, it really touches deep within the nostalgia sphere, uh, in my body. Greg Good the Hammer Valentine, a guy that has crossed many generations of professional wrestling and uh you know, to this day, I mean, still will will find his his way into various conventions and such. I once I, I actually once interviewed him years ago at a convention uh attached to one of the WrestleManias. It was the WrestleCon event, and it was like a really depressing interview because I'm interviewing him and then he just looks into the camera and says like 
where's our money? I'm broke. Ooh. And I re- I was like, I really, I really have no follow up to this. It was um, not not the uh, the easiest uh, subject to segue from. But that was the last time I spoke to Greg the Hammer Valentine about uh, seven or so years ago. We, we, here, here's, I mean, off topic and way to like dampen the spirits that you've come in. But we, this is all on topic. <laughs> this, this is whatever we want to talk about, Phil. It's two in the morning. Which is the darker industry, MMA? Or pro wrestling? Darker. I mean, each industry has its element of sleaziness to it, I think. Um, I think it's... I I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you could really weigh the two. Because there's, there's, there's going to be multiple examples from either industry. From afar, what would your assumption be? I mean, you, clo- you follow MMA much, much closer, but you're aware of pro wrestling... What would you think? I think, for, well, from, oh, from afar, that, that, I think from like somebody observing just at a glance, it would be MMA because that's people doing real damage to each other. They don't see the damage that people are doing over the course of their uh, careers and other things in the pro wrestling industry. Um, but see, physical toll I see is kind of a, a different kind of subject now, oh, uh, oh yeah like, to me it's like well, like what's a darker shadier it, i mean it, it, it's the whole thing in general right like there's so many components to it that uh i mean i i mean i maybe we are we're getting a little like we should <laughs> i feel that's an entire t- podcast topic on its own right well, the door is always open, Phil. If you ever want to jump on over to the pro wrestling side and chat with us, you're, you're well, more than I mean, welcome. It, I, you're always I mean, I, I, uh, a very fun discussion when it comes to pro wrestling. Right? Like, I don't really... you, you and I do our best podcasts uh, when we're not recording, I find. Okay. All right. So you can, you can just secretly tape me then. I'm always, uh, I'm always amazed by some of your observations. Phil, every year he will tune into WrestleMania and then he sends me his thoughts. And it's one of my most anticipated emails of the year. Well, I, I, I'm honored to hear that. I mean, this last year, I don't think I watched that much. So, I mean, but it's, it, I, I don't know. I get a unique, I always am amused because then I end up finding out that things that I like or dislike are the complete opposite of what the hardcore WWE fan whatever that is, uh, seems to enjoy or not enjoy. And so it, it's just, uh, it's just curious, like, you know, it's just, uh, well, that's, yeah. that's why I value your opinion. I want to, I want to hear from someone that is, uh, aware of pro wrestling in, in a past life, but still will check in every now and then and what, what hits you and what doesn't, mm-hmm. because sometimes that's a big problem with specifically WWE is growing their fan base is something they, they don't really do. It's it's just trying to mitigate the the tune out effect of people that have just kind of worn out on wrestling and will come back for big shows. But you don't really see they they have this hope of this big boom period to come when they go to Fox this fall. And I'm very hesitant to imagine that there's going to be this explosion of popularity for WWE, and that's contingent on grabbing people like you to come back and tune in or create younger fans so uh you know what wwe reminds me of when i was young my father who doesn't know anything about basketball somehow got i think through work or whatever some comp tickets to the harlem globetrotters and i went to see them in the sky dome because the ace the acc the arena where the raptors play wasn't available yet and i was mesmerized i mean i thought these were the best basketball players in the world 
And um, as I grew older, I realized they weren't the best basketball players in the world. They were engaging in a sort of like theatrical performance of basketball. It was tremendous. It was it was really awesome and exciting as a young person. And then now when I see the Harlem Globe Charters, I can appreciate what they can do because they have a skill level that I don't possess and I can never possess in basketball, but they're not really like playing basketball. And that's sort of how I feel about uh, the, you know, pro wrestling world. All right. Well, maybe this will be a monthly feature we do on these UFC shows where we're going to get Phil's wrestling moment. And he's going <laughs> to give us a five minute update on where his relationship with professional wrestling is on a month to month basis. So I think this is how this is like the warm up. And now we're going to dive into the MMA discussion. But now you see, this is called cross promotion because a lot of our listeners, they may not be following MMA besides our post shows because they just want to hear our thoughts. And now we're, we're inter, we're we're weaving everyone in with a common topic. I, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I hope so. I, I hope the audience enjoys uh, as much as possible. Where did you go tonight? Where was the scene of your UFC 241 uh, viewing party? Uh, um, so um, I, it's such. A, this is that's a great question because uh, I went to my friend James Ann's James Ann's house. James Ann is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a bad motherfucker, let me tell you. And I've been training with him for um, uh, nine years now. And uh, he's really great. And uh, he, he, what, why he's also great is because he fosters a community of jiu-jitsu people and he invites people to train. And over the years, he's invited so many people to train and he trains in his house. And today I told him specifically, you know, James, you and this basement, you're the Stu Hart of, uh, of where we live. And he got the reference. He knows a little bit about pro wrestling, but there were some younger folks who, 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 and you know, they don't understand even the history and don't know wrestling. And I was explaining that to them. So it was a party at his place. And I was explaining how this is the dungeon where we all tap because he's, be- he's better than all of us. Like he's not just, uh, uh, I mean, he, you know, when I say just a black belt, like that's, that, that's an incredible accomplishment, but he's also just so much superior than all us other, um, jujitsu players and I, and, and guys who are much better than me and I'm, I'm okay. And, um, we've been training a long time. And so it's just funny. Another sort of subtle pro wrestling reference. What are you? What, what, what belt? Oh, you right you're going to make me do that on the, on the. I want you to flex a little muscle here. Some people know <laughs> so, the kind of credibility so, that I enlist here for our analysis of well, our MMA for, shows. For both listeners, I am. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I'm. I've. I've been a purple belt for a couple of years. So that's it. That's pretty impressive. Oh, thank you, John. Well, I got started, and um, around the time of like the first Ultimate Fighter. I was watching Pride. I think it was around the time where Crow Cop knocked out Vanderlei, and I was really getting into MMA, and I saw some signs around town uh, in Toronto I was living, and I had some free time. And so it, the signs around town were like, do you want to learn MMA? And then I met the person who put up those signs, and it was a jiu-jitsu coach, Elliot Baev, who owns a school, Open Mat, a series of schools, actually. 
It's where I used yeah, to Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was my first coach. And uh, very quickly, I, I got into it. And uh, I didn't realize you'd been training since 2005 because I remember around 2000, I want to say 9 or 10, you and I ran into each other at a nightclub downtown in Toronto called Tattoo. Yes. And we start talking and you mention, I was like, what are you up to? And your answer was jujitsu. I'm into a lot of jujitsu. Huh. I was like, are you, are you kidding me here? Like I, I do, uh, I work at the fight network and we had quite the conversation and I was, uh, that was my takeaway is like Phil is hardcore into jujitsu. I was definitely hardcore. So you say that was in 2009. I'm guessing around, it was probably around nine or yeah, 10. Yeah, I don't know if it was I 2005, it might have been 2006 or like it was, it was right after I got done college. So I finished university in 2003, four, did a, about um, a year and a half, two years of college. And then right away I started doing jujitsu after that. And, um, yeah, ever since. So, uh, it's been great. Jiu-Jitsu is awesome. And I, I hope to continue it. I'm not like deep into it right now. I haven't trained in like a month, which is quite a long time for me. Um, I do other things, but, uh, I hope to get back into it. And it's, uh, and I hope that it's something I can continue for my whole life as long as my body can keep up, which it has. I've never really had too many serious I, I've just, I, I realize I've just like kind of slowly, just followed you like you you get a job at a movie theater <laughs> and then i show up at that movie theater a year later to work with you you go to ryerson for radio and television arts i make my way to ryerson and radio and television arts you start off at open mat in 2005 2006 i make my way eventually to open mat so you see phil my career it's just following the breadcrumbs that you have left ahead of me i'm honored to be an inspiration Am I going to be in living in Keswick? In well, I don't years? live in Keswick, but uh, you live around Keswick, don't you? Train in Keswick? Uh, I do. That is one place I train. Yeah, yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, because uh, the part of my brain that says Keswick, I think of you. So <laughs> you're designated in my area around Keswick. Okay, okay. Are you even close to Keswick? All right, that, that's that's a first. I've never been referred to as Keswick, and you know, some people might take that as an insult. But I'm going to treat it like a compliment. So thank you, John. All right. So in conclusion, we have a new UFC heavyweight champion. Way, uh, wow. Phil and I are going to be back in a couple of weeks. So thanks to everyone for tuning Will we tonight. be this back? Gonna... Will people want to hear this again? Are people going to? Absolutely, they do. I, I'm sure people are loving this. They're loving it or they're hating it. We we have either That's what eliminated I want. all our you know, if that's you fine. Hate it, I would be happy just to talk with you about this. Everyone's tuned out. The then we'll get into the serious stuff. Oh, we're talking over each other. We're really passionate now. You know what I want? I want the reaction that Colby Covington got tonight. My goodness. Did you hear that? This was a, a deafening Colby. Wow. Sucks that. You know, he turned he turned a corner two weeks ago. Wow. My goodness. That's well, we'll get into uh, Colby Covington. We're going to uh, blitz through the undercard because, as I said, Phil was at a big party. So, uh, and in the interest of our time here, it is is it is two in the morning here in, in Toronto. So, uh, I do not want to wake up everybody here. So, we're going to blitz through the undercard, and then we're going to spend a lot of time on the main card because that's what everyone is here to discuss with us. Uh, just going into this card, Phil. This this show even. 
uh, before the pay-per-view began. This felt like a the biggest show of the year so far for the company. And I would say coming out of it, it definitely felt like it as well. Did you have that kind of um, heightened interest for this card going in? Because the I would say the top three fights had a ton of interest. And it just seemed that day by day, the anticipation of Nate Diaz being back made a big difference on this card. Uh, well, okay. So the I did have high anticipation for this card. A lot of people were comparing it, were saying it was the biggest card of the year. Uh, I wasn't sure about that. Um, I I didn't go and and you know go down the history of cards, but I remember there was a couple of events that were pretty stacked throughout the year. There was an event with John Jones on it, headlining it, that had a lot of big fights on it. There was another event. I think Ben Askren, the one where Ben Askren got knocked out had a lot of big fights on it and he was sort of one of the marquee guys, but this was definitely among them. And now certainly coming out of it, it's, it's even bigger with, with huge fights, uh, with huge ramifications rather. Um, but the top three fights in particular were huge. And yes, the return of Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz is a mega star in this sport and, my excitement level for him returning was higher than I think anything else on this card. And my excitement level for Yoel Romero, Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic was extremely high. And, uh, it, it really, it really delivered at that top end. Well, the card started off, uh, the way you'd always want a card to start off with six consecutive decisions and, that began on Fight Pass at 6.30 Eastern time, hours and hours ago. Uh, our opening fight saw Sabina Mazo defeat uh, Shanna Dobson by unanimous decision. Uh, listen to these scores, 30-24, 30-25, 30-25. Uh, Sabina Mazo wins, improves to 7-1. and one. Uh, I gave her 10-8 rounds in the first and the third. Just uh, dominant here with her striking, in particular knees from the, from the clinch in the later round. And... Uh, just, uh, Dobson really had no answers here. Uh, Mazo slowed down a little bit in the second, but, uh, easy fight to score in Mazo's favor. Kyung Ho Kang took on Brandon Davis and Kyung Ho Kang won by split decision. Uh, this was an interesting fight. They brought up the fact that Brandon Davis runs 20 miles per day and Dominic Cruz was asked, it was, um, John Anik, Joe Rogan, and Dominic Cruz on the call. And Cruz was asked, what are your thoughts about Davis running 20 miles per day? And Cruz said, that's great. Does that leave a lot of time for actual training? And Cruz just kind of um, put a wet blanket over this uh, this feat of incredible endurance that this man displays on a daily basis. And Cruz said, you're probably wasting a lot of time without training, and then you have to recover from all this running. And, well, he lost by split decision, so maybe point to Cruz in this one. Uh, uh, Definitely. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. uh, Definitely. Davis had this fight. He was landing low kicks and was really crippling Kang and then let himself get taken down. I mean, you know, let himself. Like, I I mean, I don't mean to to diminish what Kong did. But, uh, you know, he really could have won this fight and should have won this fight. And I don't know if it's because he's doing too much running or not, but something has to change because he the, the fight IQ in this moment here, it, it, it failed him. Ten miles a day is amazing. It's very impressive. And it's, it's being able to 
have cardio. Let me let me explain that. He's he's running twenty a day, so I'm saying ten is just as impressive a uh, topic to bring up. Yeah. And you well, cut your time in well, half. You yo, I mean, I'm not I'm not competing at any level of anything, but an hour and a half of jujitsu is extremely tiring, and t- and 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 so like if you're doing that plus you know some level of running or you know all these things that you need to do to prepare to be a MMA fighter, just like Dominic Cruz said, it's like you you have to like you only have so many hours to give to to being good at this. Uh, Kang won the first and third rounds. Uh, we got some some early uh, best ofs from Joe Rogan. He was just flabbergasted when Davis lost his mouthpiece, and the uh, referee George Allen uh, took an uh, a longer Swaggy time G. than yes. Uh, Rogan was not happy with how long it took for Davis's mouthpiece to be reinserted, and then in the third round we got a stand up from side control. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. And Rogan was not happy about this one either, and uh, they kind of debated this. What, what, what are you? What are your philosophies, uh, Phil? I have been someone that has found myself on the bottom of side control. You being a purple belt, I'm sure you have put people like me into side control, which is quite the achievement. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about stand out stand ups in this? Because it's a hell of a position to try and get out. Okay, of. so side control, getting to side control, um, yes, in MMA is a big achievement and in mma it's it's kind of a little bit easier to escape side control than it is half guard per se because um you just need an underhook and then you can you you can get out of there uh but kong when he got side control he was definitely trying to just sort of lock down the position he was holding him down and he was sort of looking for an arm triangle and the referee did warn him about three times. He said, you know, top player, you need to advance your position or do more or something. And the commentators didn't catch on to that. And so I definitely don't like the idea of standing somebody up from side control because it is so hard to get and control. It, it is in general wrong. But the ref did warn three times or two times before he did it. So, like, it, I think it was an, a bad call, but it's not egregious. And then Kong ended up getting back to it, and and the ref he immediately yeah, took him back so, down and went right to side control, ref, like an fu. Yeah, exactly. And the ref was like, "Well, you know what? Tough luck, buddy. I gave you a break." And then, like you know, now you're, it's it's on you. And I know that's not the rules, but it 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 seems sort of fair, if that makes any sense. So, you know, like the ref should be consistent. The ref shouldn't be determining, you know, uh, if, if it should be a stand up on a whim on his feelings. There should be just a straight criteria. But it just felt in that scenario, you know, because he made a bad call, or you know, like. He, it was okay to abandon the consistency in that case because he went right back to it. Uh, fight pass portion wrapped up with a uh, Hannah Cyphers defeating Jody Escabel by unanimous decision. Uh, I gave the first two rounds to Cyphers. She was just uh, landing the bigger strikes here and also attacking the lead left leg. Uh, Escabel did get a takedown in the second, but immediately um, 
they got stood up actually after that takedown. And then Cypher's getting her own takedown into the third. This was Escabel's best round. She got the takedown, worked inside of her guard, and then Jason Herzog stood them up. Nothing was happening. Cypher's landed a few shots, but then got taken down at the end, and that was reversed. I had it 29-28 for Hannah Cypher's. The judges scored it 30-27 twice, and one judge apparently had it 30-28, but I believe that might have been a mistake um that it there wasn't actually a i think it was a 29 28 was the actual score and they read it 30 28 so there was not a 10 10 round in this fight mm-hmm. oh yeah this was a fight you did not see no i oh i saw uh, it oh you did see it okay well uh there's nothing to say about this fight is there i will take that as a no Manny Bermudez yes, versus John. That's a yes. Well, I left you the opening to the uh, wax was, poetic about nothing Hannah to say. Oh, you're get you're getting way too uh, clever at this hour <laughs> for me to be able to keep up with your uh, your repertoire of jokes. Uh, you set Manny it up. I did. I did, and I screwed it up. <laughs> Manny Bermudez, Casey Kenny. This was a 140 pound catch weight because uh, Manny Bermudez was not going to be uh, safely making bantamweight. So Casey Kenny uh, looked like a guy in a different weight class in this fight, but his grappling was tremendous here. Um, he won the first two rounds and the second one. I thought very impressive here where he worked for a choke from side control, but was just at a bad angle and each had control of the other's back, but each lost a position. So it was. Uh, Kenny trying to deal with a much larger opponent throughout this. Bermudez won the third round, and the judges had it 29-28 for Casey Kenny, who said afterwards that he felt his uh, he believed his opponent weighed 20 pounds more than him and said, I'll be going back to bantamweight. That dude's a featherweight. And uh, great win for Casey Kenny. And this is one of those issues where the guy is underweight uh, or undersized for this fight and yet still pulls off the victory. So... A good win for Casey Kenny here. Drakkar Close versus Christos Christos Yagos was our lightweight fight. Uh, this ended up becoming a hell of a fight. Uh, the early uh, round saw uh, Yagos do very, very well. He was uh, hitting Close with combinations, and then Close landed his best shot at the end of the round. Uh, the second was a tremendous round. Featuring Yagos with a pair of takedowns and an appear, uh, an attempted rear naked choke. Then they got to their feet. And at this point, midway through the second round, Yagos is exhausted and just gets lit up by close. So we're even going into the third, uh, which was the, the two of them pretty much having no defense. They just threw at each other with whatever, uh, with whatever energy they still had le- uh, left with close lifting up Yagos and he paused and then just slammed Yagos to the mat and Yagos kept fighting to his credit. Uh, I had close winning 29, 28 and that is how all three judges had it. And we got plenty of jokes about what a close fight this was with Drakkar getting the victory. And then he challenged Gregor Gillespie afterwards. He wants to fight him at Madison square garden. So maybe he will get that fight. He won't get that fight. He won't. You don't think he no. will? No. Gregor Gillespie's way higher up the food chain. And, and I'm, you know, no knock on uh, close, not to say he's not a great fighter, but just like, uh, you know, uh, Gregor Gillespie's just sort of like positioned himself in his career where he's really ready for a um, fight to, to place himself in title contention. 
And, and, you know, close is, is quite a way off from that. Like, I like, hey, you know, going after what is a extremely tough fight against an, somebody who people don't know. Like, you beat him. It's like people will, like, clap slowly. But it's like those in the know know that's an incredible win. Um, so, you know, respect. But he's not going to get that fight. Gregor Gillespie is going to get a named opponent for sure. Well, he's he's much higher than close. Close is kind of, uh this was his third win in a row after beating Lando Venata and Bobby Green. <laughs> Good wins. Bantamweight fight between Rafael Sunsau and Corey Sandhagen. Sandhagen uh, had won six straight fights coming into this. He came over from LFA and thus far in his UFC campaign wins over Austin Arnett, Yuri Alcantara, Mario Batista, and the most notable one, a split decision over John Lineker in his last fight. Uh, a Sunsau, uh, a perennial also ran at 135 pounds, but he's, he's really kind of been the litmus test for people that you beat a Sunsau, then you're into the top mix. So this was an important fight for Sandhagen. In the first, it was Sandhagen being very sneaky, going to the body, landing with combinations, and continued into the second, where the second round was a very hard fight to score because they were just constantly scrambling for position. And I thought the most notable strikes were a Sun Sao landing these hammer fists, and it was just a lot of positional control in the second round. So... I thought it was even going into the second, but many gave this to Sandhagen. Third round was a definite Sandhagen round where he looked great, just attacking a Sun Tzu's body and neutralizing a Sun Tzu, which was very impressive given uh, who Rafael Sun Tzu has fought, who he's beaten, and Sandhagen got the unanimous decision victory, two scores of 30-27, one had it 29-28, and I think that, at least on the undercard, Corey Sandhagen was one of the stories of this show, Phil, and really catapults himself beating the number three ranked guy at bantamweight. Definitely. Sanhagen looked good previously, but he hadn't faced anybody nearly at the level of Vassensau. And for him to go in there and have a clear win definitely positions himself as somebody who is ready to challenge for a title. Of course, bantamweight is backed up. You've got this double champ situation. You've got a lot of good contenders in the wings, so he's not going to get a title shot anytime soon. But he's definitely ready for, I mean, he just beat the elite of the division. So you better be ready to put him in there with somebody of marquee. Um, uh, just... Uh, Last week, I was sort of thinking about um, somebody for Dominic Cruz who who just got a win. I, I don't recall already because I feel like maybe that's sort of the echelon that Corey Sanhagen needs. He needs a huge sort of name in this division for him to get a win uh, against them to, like, elevate his name. Um, maybe uh, Uriah Faber is is the right name because you're um, although the positioned a uh, different fight for Uriah Faber tonight. Yeah, they did the tease with uh Uriah Faber and Henry Cejudo tonight where they cut to them sitting cage side and they just did a goofy stare it was, it, into the camera. I thought it was great. I liked it. You didn't like it? It was fine. It was just uh I thought it it, it did make me want to see it, you know? It, it was like, you know, yeah, these guys are looking at it, you know, it's like they're, you know, I don't know. It was fun. Well, there's there's uh, a nice choice. There, there's several choices that you have for Corey Sandhagen of where you position him next. I mean, you have uh, Piotr Jan is the other really rising prospect at bantamweight. Uh, Marlon Marais, if I'm not mistaken, has no one booked for him, although that might be 
a little high up, but Marais is coming off that loss to Cejudo, so he's kind of in no man's land right now at bantamweight. That's so. appropriate. I mean, Asensio and Marais was number three. Mm-hmm. Like you could argue, yeah. like Sanhagen's should be top five after after tonight. Yeah, I know. I def I definitely think so. And he went into this as a favorite, right? Like people were high on yep. him, and uh, rightfully so. And he, he proved himself. It was, you know, he went after the 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 grappling pretty aggressively at points and i kind of thought it was a mistake because he was so much better in the the stand-up um but he he was he certainly wasn't outmatched in the grappling he got a lot of transitions he got good positions there but it it just made me question the decision making a little bit it's like why are you going into asensau's domain are you proving a point or are you giving yourself the best chance to win. Guess how much of a favorite Sandhagen was in this fight. Do you want to throw out a, a number? Uh, I, I don't want to say it's a fair guess because I feel like I heard something. I mean, like minus 200, minus 240. Minus 240. Yeah, that's a sizable amount over Rafael Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, very good win for Corey Sandhagen. And in our featured prelim bout, saw Devontae Smith take on Kama Worthy. So the story behind this is that Devontae Smith was originally to fight John McDessie on this card. Then that got changed to Clay Collard. And then last Sunday, Kama Worthy replaces Clay Collard. And these two used to be training partners and actually pretty good friends, but they haven't trained together for about two and a half years. So they start this fight and they are very tentative. They're trading low kicks and both very much respecting each other's power. And then there's a moment where they high-five each other, and you hear Worthy's corner just scream at him, don't do that. And with that, Kama Worthy lands a counter left hook and drops his former training partner, Devontae Smith, who was a minus 1,000 favorite. And down goes Devontae Smith. He gets finished. Um, Worthy threw a right uppercut, but it looked like it only connected with his chest. So Kama Worthy, the biggest underdog on this card, gets a win. And afterwards, he talks to Joe Rogan. He says he did a great speech. He was tremendous. He wanted the $50,000 bonus and said, you know, he he's respects his, his friend Devontae Smith, but he's 26. I'm 32, man. I got to get paid. And this guy was great. And I can officially confirm everyone that comma worthy was worthy of the $50,000 bonus because he received it. Well, we're not worthy of such a fine performance. So thank you, comma. Then we go on to the pay-per-view main card. Kicking things off, Derek Brunson versus Ian Heinish at 185 pounds. First round, Ian Heinish looked to finish this immediately after he nailed Brunson with a head kick, and Brunson just instinctually grabbed hold of Heinish and recovered. And Heinish was very aggressive in this first round. He landed body kicks. Uh, Brunson was trying to throw left hands, but he was, this was a much more reserved Derek Brunson. This was not the Derek Brunson that fought Robert Whitaker, that he's been kind of chastised over that performance. However, I will say this. He probably made Robert Whitaker as vulnerable as we've seen him at 185 pounds. And had he stopped Robert Whitaker, nobody is complaining about his recklessness. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the realm of the coulda, woulda, shouldas, right? Uh, he's had all sorts of performances that have been all over the map through his career. He's been winning fights and, you know, he, he was doing very well against Joel Romero and then got finished in the third round. He was doing very well against Anderson Silva and sort of took his foot off the gas in the, the end of that fight. So he, he's had of a history of kicking himself in the foot. Or is that the right expression? Kicking himself in the butt? That would really hurt. Yeah. Kicking yourself in the foot. It's like taking one leg and then kicking the other one. Uh, I, in fairness to the Anderson Silva fight, I totally thought he won that fight. Uh, I thought, if you go and rewatch that one, it's a hard fight to score for Anderson Silva. You know, at the time, I recall actually scoring it for Anderson Silva, but it's one of those ones where I've only watched once and I I trust your judgment that that's probably the way I'd see it now. Um, but I, I do recall that he just, you know, you have to take advantage of the moments that are presented to you. And you can't just rely on falling back. And he, he just sort of has a very sometimes lackadaisical style where he falls into a situation. And that happened that, that that sort of happened at moments in this fight. He was able to wade through them with with really experience. It was the experience that uh, he relied on in this one. Yeah, the story on Derek Brunson. This is his second uh, camp that he's worked with Henry Hooft because you know once upon a time he was training with um, uh, Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn, but then primarily he's been. He was like training just with his own people and pretty much by himself in South Carolina. So it's been the, these last two fights that he's been working in Florida uh, with Henry Hooft and that team. So we saw, uh, I, I thought, a much improved Derek Brunson here. In the second, uh, you could see Ian Heinish had kind of thrown out a lot in the first round and he was definitely more tired in the second. He was starting to get tagged with left hands and Brunson was, he was not going crazy here. He just, knew when to stuff takedowns from Heinish and rely on those left hands. In the third round, this is when Colby Covington showed up and was just littered with chance of Colby sucks. This was impossible for the announcers to ignore. And Colby Covington remained there for uh, the rest of the card. But this was enormous, the reception he received during this fight. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And then there was a great moment later as well. Uh, are we gonna, uh, do, do you have a note to talk about that when we saw... Or was that at the same time when we saw Jorge Masvidal as well? They had a shot. Oh, I'm not. I'm not familiar with with this. What what happened with Colby? Well, there were, it wasn't so much that the it was something happened with Colby. It was like there was a, there. Were, I don't know if it was the first time he appeared, which was amazing because the crowd reaction was just tremendous. It was enormous, and you know, it's like you know, he's in, he's wearing the MAGA hat. He's in California, and. I don't know if it's that part of it. I mean, of course it is because that's part of his deal, but it's, you know, the reaction was just tremendous. And, you know, he's been doing that shtick for a while, but the fact that he just beat Robbie Lawler, who's this beloved guy, and he just smothered him. And, he, you know, it's sort of like a smug way to go about things. And he's got this character and, and it just really feels like it's all coming together for him now, like this, this is exactly what he wants. The boos are exactly what he's going for. And 
I don't know if the people love that they're booing or they actually are really, really booing. I, I don't know. Well, the test is going to come when he fights Kamaru Usman. And if they don't have enough support on that pay-per-view, that's really going to tell the tale of does this translate into people wanting to spend money to see this guy fight? And uh, that's that's going to be an interesting test because I do feel that's the fight that they're going to make for Madison Square Garden. It seems to be the leading contender. It's, I think it's a fight that will be on that card. I don't know if that's going to be the main event. I don't know if they're going to lead with it. I don't think it should be the only fight because I think that alone does not draw on its own. It needs support. Um, well, I, I just don't think those two are at a level where they can carry a pay-per-view. So right I, I was at, I was actually met talking about this. I mean, we're, we're, I love these tangents. This is the, like nice. Yeah, we're up to round two of uh, Brunson and <laughs> Heinish. We'll get back. Can to we, I mean, OK, can we can we just close notes down and come back to this? I don't know. Or, or should we just talk about this? OK, okay well, it, it, there's not much left here. So Colby shows up. Uh, Brunson slams down Heinish again. Heinish is, is tired in this third round. Uh, there's more left hands connecting for Brunson. He does get a takedown and just kind of picks him apart at distance and it was a pretty easy fight to score it was Heinish clearly winning the first and I thought Brunson won the second and third and that's what all the three judges scored it it was uh, not Derek Brunson throwing caution to the wind but this is probably not a time that he should be doing such uh, styles of fights and beat who I think is a pretty tough guy in Ian Heinish so Derek Brunson improves to 20 and 7 with this victory yeah Ian Heinish was very game kept coming forward sort of lacked the technique and Derek Brunson relied on experience, his superior technique to win the fight. But I think it was still a performance for Ian Heinish that you can build upon. It's, it, it wasn't a bad performance. He was game even until the end. And because of his story, if he can improve on this and face a more suitable opponent, um, you, you can still uh, gain momentum off, off of him. Do our, so from yeah. Oh, was there a point you wanted to add? No, I, I don't know. I, I I mean, I, there was so much more to talk about the Colby thing, but I didn't know if we were going to talk about that later. Or, no, or, we we can. I mean, um, I, I'm very curious what gets uh, stacked on that card. If you presume that Usman and Co- Covington okay, are okay. going to be so part of the Madison Square Garden show, so let's just for the sake of argument say that that's the only relevant fight. And I was I was talking. Uh, I just thought I was like, what if you know they do that in MSG and they can actually get Donald Trump to commit to coming, like that on its own is must see television, right? So it, there's a whole dynamic to this fight that is so. It's it's just so of the time because of the MAGA character that he's doing that and because he actually had, you know, he got the Trump kids to come to the last fight. That's crazy. And, and, and Donald Trump has a history in the fight game and Dana White has a relationship with him. So it's, Dana White spoke at the yeah. Republican <laughs> National Convention. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump was at affliction. You know, he was part he was a banker. Right for it backer for it so the whole thing like uh you know it's not out of the realm of possibility at all so so when you say you know when you say on paper that fight on its own no of course not that fight can't draw 
because, you know, Colby's emerging as a star. That was a breakthrough performance. I think he can draw well against anyone right now. Kamaru's not a draw. He's a champion, and that's worth something. And he can become a draw if he's able to keep continuing to be a dominant champion. But the 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 tr- the p- possibility of the tr- tr- president Trump being there that's worth more than either of those two guys. So um, even with that said, I do think you need a bigger fight. On top of that, just because you can't rely on that. Like that's, that's not something you can bank on at all. Um, you know, the word of the president, you know, <laughs> you might not be able to rely on that. Um, so you do need a bigger fight, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a, it, I think it's a pretty huge thing right now that Kobe's built for himself, Colby. Well, it would seem that, you know, if, if you could book them together, and this is a huge if that you have Usman and Covington, and second from the top is Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, I think that's that's a solid one-two for Madison Square Garden right now. That would be amazing. I mean, Nate Diaz, wow, wow. I mean, we're getting there. We're getting close, right? Yes. Uh, next up was uh, Sadiq Yusuf versus Gabriel Benitez, who trains at AKA. And this only went four minutes and 14 seconds, but it was an awesome four minutes and 14 seconds. Yusef is immediately throwing right hands. Benitez is trying to stop him with leg kicks, and Yusef cuts him above the eye. Uh, Benitez, again, going to kicks to the body, to the legs. And then Benitez finally rocks him with a left hand, but Yusef recovers. And as Benitez throws a shot at him, he eats this counter right hook, and he goes down and gets finished with strikes. It was a tremendous finish uh, by Sudik Yusef, who has a ton of power. He gets the TKO victory and improves to 10-1. and I thought this was... Great fight for as long as it lasted. Yeah, it was really exciting. Um, I'd seen Yusuf before. I hadn't seen Benitez. It seems like the UFC has been trying this this uh, tactic of taking at least one Dana White contender prodigy and putting them on a pay-per-view main card. And in this case, it was a very exciting fighter. Uh, both fighters were really exciting. Benitez definitely looked like he was landing well and really hurt Yusuf, but Yusuf had... Uh, a lot of power and, and very good technique. It was able to land and finish, and it was a very exciting fight uh, while it lasted. Then we had Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa at 185 pounds. We have not seen uh, either of these two for quite a while. Uh, Costa last fought in July of last year. Romero hasn't fought since the second Robert Whitaker fight in June of last year. So he is now 42 years old. And as John Anik explained during the, t- the tale of the tape, Yoel Romero was born in 1977 and Paulo Costa was not, which is very accurate. Um, Costa is only 28 years old and the fight begins and in the, within the first minute, you see this head kick attempt by Yoel Romero and then tries for a takedown. And Romero gets clipped and gets dropped. And you think Costa is going to just pounce on him and finish him. But Romero pops up and he drops Costa. And this was the tone for this first round. And amazingly, these two were able to withstand uh, a knockout apiece in this first minute. And Romero was fighting with his back against the fence. Costa just 
hits him with rights to and kicking him in the body. Costa's landing combinations. Romero then comes out of nowhere with a flying knee. And there's a break in the action when Costa low blows him with a knee as both kind of uh, recover from this insane pace. And then the round ends with Costa landing body shots against the fence. And what the hell? Here's a spinning wheel kick. I thought this was one of the best rounds I've ever seen in the UFC. This whole fight had an energy and a pace to it that I can't recall. Like, at some point in time, you're going to ask me, who do I think won? And then you're going to ask me, who do I think scored it? And I can tell you who I think won, but I don't think I can tell you how I think I scored it. Because this fight went zigged and zagged and like, it just went all over the place. There was a comment on Reddit. It was, I think it might be top. It was like, he said, I wish this fight had been 15 one minute rounds. Oh God. <laughs> because it's just, it, it's just insanity. It was just insanity. This first round, like the whole fight, the whole fight was excellent. Oh my it's gosh. going to, I, I cannot say. The, the totality of this fight, um, surpasses, uh, uh, Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum from earlier this year for the, the entirety of the fight. But there's nothing touching this for round of the year for me, this first round. And it really carried over to the second and third because in the second, uh, Paulo Costa is just unloading on him against the fence. And Yoel Romero, it was very appropriate that Arnold Schwarzenegger was seated in the front row because these two men were bloody terminators in this fight. It was, I, I could not believe the damage these two were taking. And especially Yoel Romero at 42, just he constantly would get hit and he'd stick his tongue out at Paulo Costa. And he just did this over and over again. Uh, they're absorbing these huge shots. There's a big overhand right by Costa and then goes back to the body. And then Romero, at the end of all this, of the at the end of the second, lands an uppercut and gets a takedown as the horn sounds. So that sets up our third round. And this was, I, I thought, definitely Yoel Romero's round because he just got his second wind in all of this. And he lands a back fist, right uppercut, and he just starts piling up strikes. They trade in the center. Both are just, like, they're putting their hands behind their back and... Both are just saying, shit's on, let's go. Place is going insane. Uh, they had, they had to have been exhausted at this point. Romero gets a late takedown and Costa uses an underhook to get out and the horn sounds to end 15 minutes of insanity. And what, uh, what an unbelievable fight this was. Just, yeah, just outstanding. Yoel Romero once again delivers fight of the year contender. I mean, over and over again, this guy is, so exciting to watch. This fight was back and forth. There was one moment, don't ask me what round it was, but where Joel Romero got hit, rocked, and then he... That, Phil, that could be any one of these rounds. <laughs> he got blasted okay. in every round. Yeah, but then he, like, pointed, and Costa took the bait and looked where he pointed, and then he, like, landed and rocked Costa... I feel this was in the first round. It was such a weird moment. And there, th this fight was filled with so much. This was, this was just really tremendous. And it, it was what we thought it would be. Sort of like 
kind of, I guess, if you thought it could be amazing. And it was. So, yes, it was what we thought it could be. The best way uh, possible. How did you score the fight, Phil? Who won the fight? Who? I thought that Romero won the fight. It just felt like towards the end he was gaining steam and he was controlling it and was landing the bigger shots and he did have the takedowns but it it was super close and i i i didn't have a problem with the decision it, it wasn't like i was like oh how could they think of that it was it was crazy fight i i did score it for paulo costa i gave him the first two rounds and i gave romero the third so i did not disagree with this what I did disagree with was the reaction from this audience oh, that horrible, should horrible. be embarrassed that they booed this uh, after this unbelievable fight. I cannot fathom how you boo this fight, regardless of who won. Like, are you people out of your minds? Like, these two both won in having one of the great fights ever. Uh, it's almost immaterial who got the decision at the end of this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I said the same thing to or. Some roughly something similar to the crowd I was with. I'm just like, you know, these people booing. It's like, this fight was amazing. Like, he didn't, he didn't make the decision. You don't like the decision. Boo the judges, not him. What this does set up, though, is really interesting because, of course, we have the Israel Adesanya Robert Whitaker fight later this year. I think this puts Paulo Costa in line for the winner because uh, I don't see. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum jumping back into that after the loss to Adesanya. Um, Jack Hermanson is up there. Uh, Jacare is in the top five. Weidman's moved to light heavyweight. And I think after a war like this, that this fight is going to be discussed uh, over and over by people. I think Costa's put himself into that position that if he wants to wait, he should be in line for the winner of that fight. I totally agree. UFC put this fight on this card for that reason. I don't think the UFC would have had a problem putting Yul Romero back into a title fight. And now that Costa's won, um, and especially because he won in such a fashion with such an incredible fight, I think they'll be happy to put him into a title fight. Of course, that's a long ways off. Um, that fight is in October. Costa needs a long time yeah, to yeah, probably recover yeah. from this one. So that could be in 2020, no problem. Yeah, and also... Adesanya has been very active. And, mm -hmm. and so there's a, there's a lot of things that could sort of interfere with that plan. But I'd say right now he, he's the leading contender. If it's if it's between him and Jack Hermanson, I think he's he's okay. Well, yeah, I mean Jack Hermanson does have a a huge fight coming up um, of his own uh, on a huge event in New UFC's first uh, time in Denmark. Um, but yeah, it, it's certainly not as marquee as, as Joel Romero, which was somebody who he was campaigning for. Right. He's fighting, uh, Jared Cannonier. Which, which is, a, which is a great fight. I, I mean, that's, yep. uh, that's an excellent fight because Cannonier himself is not very far off from a title shot, right? Like he has a big win over Anderson Silva. And David Branch. That's right. Yeah. So con controlled that. And so I, I like that fight a lot. That's a really good fight for that audience. Um, that's a tough event. Uh, they haven't put a lot of fights on that card. I think uh, you've got Gunner versus Tiago Alves is the only sort of notable fight for that uh, market. So after this fight, 
They could have just closed the show at this point, but we had two more fights to go. Starting with Anthony Pettis and Nate Diaz at 170 pounds. And when Nate Diaz walked out, this guy was the most popular guy in this building. Yeah, he, he's, he's a star. He's been a star for a while. He was a star before the Conor McGregor fights. And those fights turned him into a superstar. And the audience reacted with uh, the appropriate uh, the appropriate way that you would expect an audience would react for a superstar returning after a three year layoff. Who is your pick ahead of time for this? Who this was a super tight fight. I because I, I was picking Pettis. I I guess I would say I was leaning Pettis. I was worried. My biggest thing was. Pettis obviously would have the these kicking the kicking advantage, and that has historically been Nate's kryptonite. But in this case, it was like you knew Nate would be prepared, would at least be aware of that. So he would, you'd think he'd at least have some type of plan to deal with it, and uh, and it turns out he did. So the fight begins, and it's going the way I'm kind of envisioning this fight where. Anthony Pettis, he easily is switching stances. Diaz would charge in and he get hit by Pettis. And it's Pettis working off the cage and keeping Diaz at distance, which is going to propel his kickboxing. And then all of a sudden, uh, Diaz is trying to eliminate the distance and he gets the takedown. Uh, but when taking him down, Pettis goes for a guillotine. That Diaz pops out of. Diaz takes his back moves to mount, and the final, I would say, 90 seconds of this round, he just turns this fight around. Uh, it's enough to win the round, and it's enough to completely turn the tempo of this fight. In the second, uh, Pettis goes to check a kick and ends up injuring his ankle, uh, which would end up, he would have to go to the hospital after this fight. And Diaz is having problems with his eye to the point that the referee Mike Beltran has to call time to check on it, of which Rogan notes, if he was blind, he would say he's fine. And the fight continues. Diaz again takes uh, the back standing and gets him down into side control. And Diaz is just attacking him with knees, with elbows, and just unloads with shots as Pettis has his back to the fence. And it's just the relentless Nate Diaz. Uh, he gets cut above his eye, but it's an enormous ending to the round for Diaz. Um, third round, Pettis clearly dealing with this right ankle injury, and Diaz does not let up nonstop shots. He's landing knees. It looks like he's going to finish Pettis, but then goes to take the back, and Pettis reverses on top, and Diaz is landing elbows from the bottom. They scramble towards the end. He cannot submit Anthony Pettis, but this is a runaway win for Nate Diaz. He wins by unanimous decision, 30-27 twice, and one judge had it 29-28. This, to me, was one of his most complete performances where he just totally shut down Anthony Pettis, and I was so impressed with Nate Diaz in this fight. Absolutely. He was very well prepared. He checked kicks. He he wasn't as flat-footed as he has been. He's while he still maintained all the great attributes that he has in terms of putting on a pace and continuing to put pressure on his opponent. Um, his jiu-jitsu game was tremendous in this fight. He controlled position. Uh, he attacked submissions. 
he uh yeah it, it was a really fantastic performance he he was really good in the clinch as well in the dirty boxing and um uh Pettis was having success early in the fight particularly with his left hand he he was coming over the top and it looked like that eye was going to be a very serious problem for Nate but uh, he was able to persevere through it, work through it, and then just control the fight and, and really uh, secure one of the standout performances of his career. And then we got the Nate Diaz post-fight interview. And first he acknowledges the the Nick Diaz army, motherfuckers. And then he's asked why he's been gone for so long. And he answered, because everybody sucked. But there's one person that doesn't suck who had a great win recently, and he's talking about Jorge Masvidal, and said, they're the only two gangsters here in the UFC, but he's not a West Coast gangster. And they've got Masvidal out in the crowd. Everyone's going nuts. Everyone wants to see this fight. Um, I don't know if we, we won't see Nate Diaz again for two years, but they have really set the table for an amazing fight here because uh, – as impressive as this was, I don't think anyone wants to see Nate Diaz paired with Kamaru Usman or Colby Covington or Tyron Woodley. The fight they want is Jorge Masvidal, and it's a huge fight that they can make coming out of tonight. Absolutely. Massive fight. Jorge Masvidal has been, is higher than ever, and he's been building on that high uh, for a while now. And Nate Diaz, like we've already talked about, is just such a massive star. And that fight is so explosive. It's something that people want to see. It, it, it could hit headline a pay-per-view on its own. It doesn't need a title. People will pay for that. And uh, I can't wait for it. And hopefully they can put this fight together because I think Nate Diaz, more than anyone, knows how much value there is in that fight. Well, and I, yeah, well, I think the only real problem why they wouldn't be able to is if, if they just don't pay Nate what he wants to get paid, right? Because well, that's, that's a huge obstacle. Yeah. Well, hey, they found a price to pay him for this fight and he made that call out. So I feel like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they make that fight a little bit sooner than, you know, we typically see Nate Diaz fight. Yeah, it's going to depend. I mean, the last time Nate made all that money and then he just walked away for three years. So now he's presumably made a good amount tonight. Uh, will he be rushing back? Like, certainly they have the fight to make. I hope they make it selfishly. I hope we get to see that fight. I hope we get to see that fight this year. Uh, it's huge. And of course, uh, looming, of course, is Conor McGregor and where where he fits into all of this. He is dealing with a hand injury. He's also a complete idiot. So that's <laughs> probably going to uh, slow his return to fight. But, but yeah, did he's, this, he's did in the background. Did this take him out of the equation? Like, didn't this just like, like now who's, we don't want to see Nate fight Connor. Like that's not of interest to us. So like he's got scraps left at, you know, at, at lightweight, really, I, I think this hurts Connor's position, if anything. Well, I, I think Connor ultimately, I mean, he's still, a huge star. Don't get me wrong. Like it hurts it like minorly, like he can still pretty much do what he, you know, he's going to have a huge fight when he comes back. But I don't think pe like it, the clamoring for the Nate fight isn't, isn't really there. I don't think right now. 
I mean, I'm not dying to see that fight, but I do know if they made that fight, it's going to be gigantic if they do the third fight between those two. But I, I, I'm not dying to see that them go in that direction. I'd like to see Connor come back at lightweight, and I'd like to see Nate pursue this fight with Masvidal at 170. I don't think Connor should be fighting at 170. No, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. He, he has one win at 155. Main event <laughs> time: Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, and. This fight starts off and it's looking like Cormier is going to make this even more um, definitive than the last fight. He he does this fake at the beginning for a takedown and then throws this left hook uh, just to try and uh, mess with Miocic's head. And then it's Cormier uh, just starting to land strikes. He's landing with lefts, with rights. And then he drives for the single leg, gets Miocic up on his back and just slams him down moves to half guard and controls most of this uh, round from the top and lands some big hammer fists at the end, as well as some elbows. Clear round for Daniel Cormier. Into the second we go. Miocic is out with his jab, but Cormier reacts very well. He's, uh, He's landing his elbows, and then he goes to these big shots, and these two are trading enormous power shots. And we should mention uh, the fact that both men came in considerably lighter than they did for their first fight. Uh, Cormier was down to 236.5 and and Miocic weighed 230.5 pounds. So they were down, I think Cormier was down 9.5 pounds from their last fight. Miocic was down about 12. So both men considerably lighter here. And uh, Cormier has no concern for Stipe's power. He's just eating shots to deliver them, and he is the quicker of the two and even lands a head kick at the end. The third round, it's more Cormier striking. He's jabbing him. He's just dictating the pace here with Miocic and doesn't seem to have any concern that Stipe can stop him. And in between rounds, Cormier is talking with his corner. And how did you have it after three rounds, Phil? Okay, so the, it, it was a tough one to score. I certainly the first one was for Cormier. Had that one ten nine. The second one I also had for ten nine for Cormier, but it was got a lot closer. And then the third round, it felt like it was even closer, but I still kind of had it for Cormier. So it sort of sounds like it's three nothing, but that doesn't really reflect how close the fight was because that the first round was a clear win, but it wasn't like a blowout. And then at after the first round, it was pretty close. Yeah. So two judges had it two one for Cormier, uh, giving the third round to Stipe and one had it all three for Cormier. And that's how I had it. I, I did give the first three to Cormier. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And as I said, that's sort of how I had it. But the third round being for uh, Stipe, I could see that as well. Yep. Yep. And two judges did. So the fourth round, everything changes. Stipe comes out and he's taken a lot of damage to the head in this fight. And he just starts attacking the body of Daniel Cormier with these left hooks and they are piling up. We get the stat that shows uh, like 12 of 16 he's hit and he's continuing to hit these things and Cormier just does not seem to have an answer for it. Cormier is landing right hands. They're doing damage, but the body shots are piling up and then he hits one final body shot and you can just see Daniel Cormier wince. He 
cannot take any more of these. That's the opening. Stipe drills him with these three big right hands, puts down Cormier against the fence, and finishes him with strikes. At four minutes, nine seconds of the fourth round, Stipe wins by TKO, regains the heavyweight title, and what a turnaround in this fight where I was thinking that Cormier was going to stop this guy, and he completely turns it around with a tremendous strategy in the fourth round. Yeah, it it was amazing fight to watch. It was amazing turnaround. It was... I was, it felt like Cormier was taking the round off. It felt like, because even th- through the previous three rounds, when Cormier was eating shots, he was still coming forward. But then in this round, he was moving backwards. And it felt like because he didn't really respect Stipe's power, he was going to take this round off and then come back strong later. But then the body shots were effective, even though he didn't want to admit it. I mean, I'm reading a little bit deep into this, but it, 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 it just, it had, a, the whole round had a different tone. And part of it was the body shots landing, but I think part of it was also DC's approach. And then, yeah, those body shots, they worked and it, DC dropped his hands and Stipe landed and finished him and reclaimed the gold. So. This was uh, not the outcome I expected. I thought Cormier would win this fight, but with the loss, um, you know, he said afterwards he's going to talk with his wife. He's going to decide what to do. I think this is the end of Daniel Cormier's career. I don't think he's going to come back for another fight. Do you think differently? You know, never say never in this fight game, but it seems like an appropriate way out. Um it's hard to imagine him coming back for, let's say, a rematch with John Jones to avenge that loss or those losses versus well, why not avenge this loss, a fight that he was winning. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, maybe he does want to get this one back, you know, have that rubber match. That would be a huge fight. This was a great fight. People will want to see that. So it's not inconceivable. But um as uh, he said previously, he doesn't want to have a um, career that ends on repeated losses where people see him on his back. Uh, his family sees him on his back. And he certainly has the capability to beat Stipe, but Stipe certainly has the capability to finish Daniel Cormier. So does he want to take that risk? Maybe not. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he retired as well. Yeah, that's... That's my expectation. We'll see if Daniel Cormier uh, opts to come back. Obviously, yeah, he now has, going into this fight, he said the only fight left was the other one with John Jones. I think now you do have a second fight if you wanted to it uh, with Stipe Miocic. Uh, for Miocic, there's Francis Ngannou, but, I mean, this was a hell of a war that I would hope that this guy doesn't come back immediately uh, for something like the Francis Ngannou fight. And... Yeah, beyond that, I'm sure Miocic very much wants Cormier to have another fight with him. And then there's always John Jones. If he ever does go up to heavyweight, um, certainly there's a long list of potential contenders. But I don't know if Jones is going to make that move anytime soon. But it's um, an well, interesting state of the heavyweight division. Well, I think that is the ultimate thing you're aiming for, right? That's the trajectory. 
Stipe's already beat Francis. Okay, let's do that rematch. Francis is still on a high and, you know, regained a lot of momentum and maybe he's better and can deal with Stipe, whatever, maybe. So let's answer that question. John has, has sort of got his mojo back. He's reclaimed some wins, you know, maybe not super exciting, but he's back in the flow of things. And so maybe, you know, we're leading up to soon if, if both of them can keep winning together, we get Stipe versus Jones because that was a fight that we was alluded to before. And uh, I think it makes sense. I, th- I think ultimately Jones at heavyweight makes sense because he's done so much at light heavyweight and it's the, it's the natural next challenge. And there's a great story now of the two guys, the only two guys to beat Daniel Cormier fighting. I mean, that's a, that's a cool little storyline as well. Yeah, for sure. And this is the same building where Daniel Cormier ooh, lost ooh. to John Jones two years ago, the one that got turned into the no contest. Oh, it was, and it was a sim, you know, I mean, it wasn't as brutal of a finish, but it was, it had similarities to it. Like in sort of like the way he fell and like the way the finishing shots landed. If you go back and watch this finish, those right hands, yeah. it is pretty vicious at the end. Like yeah. I, th- there's a look on Daniel Cormier's face and I just saw that face. I was like, this guy is not fighting again. It just seems like this, this is not something uh, he needs and not something that I, I, I just feel like that th- this guy already goes down. He is a hall of famer. He is one of the, he is not the greatest fighter of all time, but he's one of them. I think if you want to make a top five, he's probably in many people's top five. And that's, How could he not be? How could he not be? I think you have to. You have to put him top five for sure. Um, so anyway, this was – I would say if you just tuned in for the pay-per-view portion, I thought this was a, one of the best fight cards of the year. Those final three fights, uh, I, I'd include the the Sadiq Yusuf Gabriel Benitez fight. This was such an awesome main card. It was an awesome main card. And even the opening bout, like it wasn't um, – like it was fine. Fight of yeah. the year contender, but there there was a lot to it. There's a good story to it, and it, it was action packed. So yeah, this was a tremendous event. It really lived up to the hype at the at the highest level of fighting that we saw. Really, with with, I mean, we we saw you know, Yoel Romero has not been a champion, and, and Paulo Costa hasn't either. And but they're they're right at that level. And then we saw Pettis and Diaz, and Pettis has been champion, and Nate has been so close. And, and then we saw that champion level, championship level in the main event. We really saw the highest level of mixed martial arts today. And uh, if you, if you paid uh, to watch this event, I, I think you went home satisfied. Yeah, a great card, a great pay per view main card, and they will be back September seventh, UFC two forty three, two forty two. My mistake uh, with Khabib Nurmagomedov, Dustin Poirier. For the lightweight championship, do you have a prediction three weeks out, Phil, for this lightweight fight? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll predict the same thing. Kind of three, four, five, six weeks out, it's going to be happy. <laughs> Nurmagomedov is going to do what he's done throughout his career. Um, Dustin Poirier's had an amazing run at lightweight. He's revigorated his career. He's looked tremendous. He's a very worthy uh, contender. Um, you know, he has that interim championship moniker. I don't know what it means to say you're a worthy interim champion, but, um, you know, he's deserving of this shot. But Habib has proven to be on another level. 
And if Poirier is able to pull off the upset, I, I'd be shocked, to be perfectly honest. All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up. So thanks to everyone for tuning in to our UFC 241 post show. If you just cannot get enough of Phil uh, for these post shows, he also stops by the website each week for a special uh, for a special feature where, that we call Five Questions with Phil Chair Talk. What will those five questions be? Well, keep it tuned to postwrestling.com. There will be many questions that I will have for Phil later this week. So I can't wait to hear from you later this week, Phil, when you let this whole card uh, digest and we can talk the fallout of UFC 241 and look ahead to Jessica Andrade and Zhang Wiley, which is the next uh, title fight that we have in two weeks. There's no UFC next weekend. Um, well, that's good. They finally take a break after a while. Um, that event in China, of course, uh, is, uh, you know, that's a pretty good main event. Uh, Weili Zhang has been, uh, silently, uh, sort of taking out contenders at women's straw weight and has looked really good. And she's not a name, but it's a good opportunity to have a local fighter, um, in a main event title fight in uh that market um so i i really wouldn't be surprised if she comes away with the win over jessica andrage even though andrage has a little bit more experience in the ufc all right well for phil chair talk i am john pollock thank you for tuning in everybody and we will speak with you after ufc 242